You're listening to Drek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. He didn't know he was going to die. He just put groceries. The wheelchair and the bullet from the desert were made from the same metal. I know, the desert, the hearings, everywhere Superman goes, Luther wants death. But Luther goes through all of that trouble, creates a bomb out of a wheelchair and then alters it to reduce the blast. What do you mean? The inside of the chair is lined with lead. See it. Welcome, everyone, to a special supplemental episode of the 602 Club. I'm so excited to be here. Um, you guys know you can find the 602 Club all over the place. You can find us on iTunes with all the Trek FM shows at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. Of course, we're on Twitter at Trek FM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. You can send us an email if you want to get in touch with the show. I love getting emails from people. So, Send them in. Send in your questions. Maybe something you'd want to hear us cover. Go to trek.fm slash contact. Just choose the 602 Club there, and the email comes straight to me. Of course, you can also send us a voicemail. Uh, go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. I'd love to have some voicemails from people on this subject we're going to talk about tonight in the supplemental. And then, of course, the Babel Conference. Uh, just type Babel in the search field on Facebook. It'll bring you right to our listeners-only discussion group. We'd love to have you join and talk about all the different shows here that we talk about. Um, well, I'm excited. Bruce, it, it's great to have you here in the 602 Club. I, I feel like I saw you just the other day. Uh, you did, Clark, actually. Oh, I'm sorry, Matt. I, I'm sorry, Bruce. Am I bad? <laughs> I didn't mean to, like, oh, goodness, oh, goodness, we, we now know each other's secret identities. Oh, crud. And I, and I just uh, exposed it to the whole world. Yeah, I mean, I, we, well, everybody that listens to this podcast, so, well, uh, okay, um, I, I'm going to be okay with it. Everybody should know, uh, I am Superman. Uh, sorry I didn't tell you guys, but, um, yeah. I that's think we the all knew. <laughs> that's the <laughs> ultimate edition uh, of Batman v Superman, as as you just found out. I'm I'm Superman. Yep, um, that's the one scene that was cut that was very crucial to the movie. It was it was crucial and thirty minutes long. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think everybody you can tell we're here to talk about Batman v Superman, but we're we've already done that on on the six hundred two club. I think everybody is well aware at this point. Movie had a very interesting time with the critics and the fans. You know, it, it made north of eight hundred million dollars worldwide, but I, it just it didn't have the reception I think that people thought it would have. And so, pretty much, I, I guess maybe like a week or so, even. Uh, timeline, I'm, I'm, I'll be a little off probably, but very soon after the movie came out, they told us, look, there's going to be an extended cut coming. It's got 30 extra minutes, and it almost felt like them saying, this is really the movie that you thought you were going to get, so just, just, you know, like, wait till this one comes out. So, we thought we'd, we'd cover it. 
And so, I Bruce, I just wanted to get your first impressions, like, going in. Uh, you were not on our Batman v Superman podcast, so let everybody know what you thought of the theatrical cut, and then what were your first impressions of watching through this new three-hour epic cut? So when I went to the theater, I saw this with uh, my wife and my two daughters, and my oldest daughter, who's 14, is a big DC Comics fan. And I was also curious to know what she was going to think when we were going into this movie. And uh, so she was excited. I was excited, but I had already heard some reviews, so I was a little worried uh, how this was going to play, especially for her. But as the movie played, I will admit that... It was it at the at the beginning of it as it was going through some pieces I was a little lost on a little unsure, uh, but it I seemed to figure it out as it was going along and I really enjoyed the movie quite a bit. Uh, I didn't understand why it was getting such negative reviews. I didn't think it was a perfect movie, but I thought it was a really good film and I loved the opening sequence with with Batman driving down the streets of Metropolis as Superman is fighting Zod and so on and so forth all these different scenes and all the way to the end even with Wonder Woman coming on so after the film uh, my youngest who is was 11 at the time she didn't quite enjoy it but my wife and my daughter loved the movie to the point that my oldest daughter said I want to go back next weekend with you, Dad. And the two of us went back and watched it again. And the second time, because I had figured more of the storyline out, the second time I watched it, I loved it even more because now I understood the story better. But then, now, fast forward to the Ultimate Edition, it flows and works even better. And all those little elements that I kind of had to fill in myself were presented and I love this edition better and I hate that this wasn't the one that came out in theaters. Well, that's a good question I have for you too. You know, we um, were recording a, a show the other night, uh, me and Mike Schindler and Richard Marquez and we were off mic and I was, I was talking to, to, to Mike about this and, and asking him why did he think that they didn't just release this in the theater. And really, it, it we we came down and we think it probably just comes down to theater ticket sales. Because if you have a three-hour movie, that's the really the only show you can do at night. You have one, one showing. You know, you'd have to have a bunch of different theaters. But three hours, that takes up your whole evening, you know, in a movie theater. You know, so you, you start it at... At seven, it ends at ten. You can't really show another one, you know, and so it really kind of messes up with the flow of how many tickets they think they'd sell, which is sad because I, mean, you know, Gone with the Wind and some of these other classic movies that that go beyond three hours were shown in theaters, and that wasn't a concern. But now it's you know, of course, the almighty dollar, and you have to. You know, it's almost like a fast food restaurant. You got to get them in. You got to get them out, and keep, or or just a uh, even a full service restaurant. You got to get them in, get them out, so you can rotate those customers through and make more money. And it, it's amazing when we have more screens now than we did seventy, eighty years ago. Yet we can't show a longer movie. There's plenty of screens that you know. I, there's even more multiplexes around me now than there were ten years ago, and. 
with all these screens, you could have an eight o'clock showing a nine o'clock showing. They can overlap, but they, they don't do that. And I, I do agree. I think it's, you know, they want to get them in and out. And so you have to keep a shorter runtime. Well, and it's very strange as you're talking about, you know, we have so many more screens today. And, you know, I, I think um, all of the Lord of the Rings movies did pretty well. You know, the Hobbit movies did pretty well. You, you can do really long, epic films. You just have to do them well. So people want to go back and see it. And I think, you know, for me, seeing this Ultimate Edition, I feel like that if you had released this one, it would have made a lot more of the fans happy. Because I, I today I, I was getting off work and I'm cleaning up the house and I saw that uh, the Collider guys had gotten together to do a, a review of this because they had actually got to go to one of the theaters that was showing it. They did a one-night showing and some theaters around the country, which I'm so jealous that I didn't get to see this in the theater. I, I, I wish that they would put it in more theaters because I would I would... I mean, I've already bought it digitally. I'll buy the Blu-ray when it comes out, and I go see this in the theater because it would be a great experience to see it in the, the great sound system and everything. And they were talking about this, and they're like, you know, if if you had released this one, people would have probably been happier with it, and they would have gone to see it more. Mm-hmm. And to me, I, I've got to say, Bruce, I think I just feel sorry for Zack Snyder. Because, you know, people just trashed the guy for the movie he didn't make. Right. Because this is the movie he made. And this is the—I mean, I feel like if you're going to judge Batman v Superman and you still don't like it after you see this, okay. But I think this is the the, the cut of the film that we should judge and just forget, really, that the theatrical version ever existed. And, hey, I liked the theatrical version, but, like— the Lord of the Rings films, I'll never watch the theatrical version again. I will always watch this Ultimate Edition. Well, I have the extended version of the Lord of the Rings films also, and those are the vision. Those are the versions that I prefer to watch because I do like the extended scenes that are added, but I don't feel that they... I mean, they add to the movie, but I don't feel like they were needed. I could watch the other earlier versions just fine, but... I can. I don't think I would ever want to go back and watch this theatrical cut, knowing how chopped up it is, and how crucial information and scenes are missing from the film. But I will admit that if this is a three-hour film, and I saw and, and and forget the fact that I like you know Batman and Superman, if I was just trying to decide to go a movie, I don't know if I'd want to go to a theater and sit through a three-hour movie, especially if I'm eat, you know drinking a Coke. Because I'm probably have to going to get up and go to the bathroom at some point, and three hours is a long time. But also keep in mind this was rated R, so I don't know if some of these scenes that were cut had something to do with bringing it down to a PG-13 rating. But you know the studios do not want to put out a Batman Superman movie that's rated R. Well, and I I do think that there with the R rating, uh, you could tell the scenes where it it got the R rating. You know the the Batman fight sequence has a few new shots in it where there's more violence. Um, same thing I think with uh, Superman uh, using his heat vision in the in the nightmare mm-hmm. uh, sequence, uh, and it's a little bit more graphic. It's not. Let me put it this way. There wasn't anything in this movie I felt like this was super hard R. And and the reason is is because you know you see so many 
PG-13 movies today that are super violent, you know? So I didn't think, like, this was really pushing that level way over the top. Um, you yeah, know, I agree. Yeah, my wife and I watched it because we were also watching with the eye that should our, will our 14-year-old be able to watch this? And the answer is yes. Yeah, yeah. And it was really interesting. Uh, you know, I, I think... I guess maybe one scene too at the very end, you know, as Superman is stuck on Doomsday's spike and he is pulling himself on the spike to push, you know, the spear deeper in. Uh, you know, that's that's pretty graphic. Uh, it, it, it's not yeah. super graphic, but I mean, you know, when you think about it, I probably wouldn't just let any, like, say, 13 or 14 year old watch this movie. It would depend on my child. Right, sure. right. So. But the fact that she was fine watching the theatrical cut, I didn't see, I didn't see anything glaring in here that made me go, "Oh no, 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 no! She is going to be disturbed, or this this isn't appropriate for her." There wasn't. I I think she would be just fine watching this. As a matter of fact, I think there's episodes of Gotham that I feel more mm. uncomfortable with yeah. watching than I do That's this true. movie as a rated R movie. <laughs> that is true. There's some really. That show definitely pushes the level. So, so you're okay with her seeing Ben Affleck's butt in the shower? I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to because that's all my wife talked about yesterday. <laughs> How good Ben Affleck's butt is? Yeah, she kept bringing it up, I, and she said to my daughter, "I don't know why it's radar. I think because you see his butt." And I'm like, "Okay, that's the fifth time today you have brought up his butt. That obviously that made an impression on you." <laughs> I don't know why it wouldn't. I mean, it made an impression on me, and I'm straight, so I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> ben Affleck, uh, guy was jacked. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, you know, all of that aside, I I think when we're looking at the film, I think there are a lot of ways. Uh, as we were talking about, we think this is better. So let's kind of break down some of the places where we think that is the case. And for me, one of the big ones, Bruce, was the fact that. The entire movie, and I knew this because, uh, as we've talked, I'd just kind of been able to put it all together after seeing it a few times. I saw it six times. But this one does a great job of, of bringing together and just showing you, not telling you or making you infer, but showing you how Lex is behind everything and really making that clear to the audience not making you jump through any hurdles or anything. And that's what I really, really liked because each of the scenes that a lot of them that they extended, it really was giving you more information about how Lex was behind something and why something was happening. And I thought that was one of the best parts about this cut is making the plot much more cohesive and, you know, if, if you're not a really careful viewer and maybe you haven't seen the film a couple of times, you might not have been able to put all the pieces together as they had cut it theatrically. Right. That's how I felt the second time. The second time I enjoyed it more because I think I figured it out more. So you're like you're saying, if you watch it more and more, it starts to make sense. If you saw this version, the ultimate version, the first time, I think it would be a much clearer as to what's happening and what. Lex's motivation is and how he's pulling the strings and it is it, it's like a puzzle I mean just imagine doing a puzzle on the table and you've got you know a few pieces missing here and there and maybe the picture isn't quite clear and then when you put the remaining pieces in oh 
that's what the picture is. That's that's exactly what this picture is. It's got the missing pieces in and the puzzle is done. It is full. It is clear. You know exactly what you're getting now. And it just plays so much better. So anybody who saw the theatrical cut and didn't like it but likes Batman Superman, you should probably watch this. Well, and and that was one of the things. Some somebody wrote uh, a, just a very small review on Letterboxd, uh, Letterboxd.com, which I'm on and I keep track of all my films that I watch. And the very short review was it was a five star review, and it said, "This is why editing matters." And I think the way that this film is edited is really fantastic. And one of the things that I love about it is talking about that Lex plot, there's more Africa. You know, that scene is cut down so much in the theatrical cut that it you really have to infer what's going on, but here it's made explicit. Why is Lois there? Why, is, you know, uh, is the CIA there? Um, you know, what's really going on? How does Superman come into play in this? What does he actually do, and what are they setting up that he's done? Um, and you get more of KG Beast making that explicit, like burning the bodies, making it look like Superman had come in and just used his heat vision, yes, um, that was all important. of that kind of stuff. I think all of those things really make this fantastic. And and people probably still complain about the fact that it was Jimmy Olsen. You know, if if you're not seeing a place for Jimmy Olsen and your plans down the road, yeah, making him a CIA agent, whatever. I, I, I don't really have a problem with, but I, I the extended amount of scenes that we get does a great job of building the plot and starting you on the road in this film of showing how Lex is behind everything and, and who he's using. I mean, he's not just using this warlord, but he's also using CIA. He's He's got, you know, apparently moles everywhere to let him know what's going on. I did like the African village scene much better. It, again, it flowed better. It made more sense, just like you're saying. And as a matter of fact, when I went to see the film the first time, I knew that the photographer character was supposed to be Jimmy Olsen, even though that wasn't revealed in the theatrical cut. But I felt a little uncomfortable with it because it, Jimmy Olsen is not a CIA agent. Now, okay, in this version of the film, you can say, okay, well, he is. But then when we see the ultimate edition while i was watching it he introduces himself as jimmy olsen and then he's revealed as a cia agent and lois doesn't this is the first time she's meeting him and so the when i saw the film the first time what i'm trying to get at is i was under the impression that he had been working at the daily plant for some time with lois lane and all this time lois didn't know he was a cia agent now she's meeting him for the first time and it's revealed he's a CIA agent, which made me think that's not really Jimmy Olsen. That's a guy who's undercover as Jimmy Olsen, a new photographer that's being hired at the planet that Lois hasn't met yet. There you go. And and I think if you ever wanted to bring Jimmy Olsen into the story, you could totally do that. And I, I love that, Bruce. That's a that's a great way of thinking about it. You know, when a CIA agent tells you their name, it's probably not their name. Right. You know, I was just watching Argo the other night. I was showing it to my wife. She'd never seen it before. And, you know, uh, Ben Affleck's character introduces himself to the um, 
hostage, uh, not the hostages, but the, the people that are staying in the Canadian consulate's house. And he t- he's, tells them their, his name, and they, they say, is, is that your real name? He's like, no. You know, it, they're not going to be truthful with right. you. So, yeah, I really, I really like that. But I also like that we understand more about the witness who goes before the Senate hearings. That's my favorite. And the fact that we learn through all of that that Lex set the whole thing up. Her parents are fine. She was fine. He gave her a script, told her what exactly what to say and how to say it. He is setting up Superman this whole film because a lot of people really didn't understand why doesn't why don't you know people like superman what's going on lex luther is controlling the narrative about superman for every good thing you see him do he's making sure that awful things happen as well so that for the majority of the film when we see superman act something awful happens and lex is doing I mean, it's it's crazy to think about this, the way this movie is talking about media, because Lex is using the media to control the narrative to tell people what to think about Superman. Because you notice in the film, anybody who has an encounter with Superman one-on-one when he saves them, those people like him. But anybody else who's just watching TV has an issue with him. Like so it's a very interesting commentary about the way that media portrays people and creates a narrative whether it's true or not. It's just the narrative. And it also shows that uh the media elects what they're going to publish and what they're not, aka the Daily Planet, because Lois once when she figures it all out, Perry won't let her publish the story because he's like, "Oh, we'll get sued by LexCorp. I'm not taking those chances unless you really have some hard proof." But other media outlets don't worry about proof. They come up with their own conclusions and report that way. But Like What's-Her-Face yeah. talking about, if Superman was not involved, why hasn't he been around since the day of the attack? Like, it's just, it's it's ludicrous, you know, um, the way well, that's that... that's what we the deal talking, with all yeah, the time. <laughs> it is exactly what we do. And it... it What's wonderful is that it's on better display here in this cut because all the storylines get a chance to breathe and that witness is so much more important than we understood because the way the theatrical cut makes it look like is we never know that she was set up, that she's been set up by Lex to control the committee and what the committee's hearing. It's just, it's phenomenal. I, I think it's great. And then, you know, part of Lex's plot, too, that we find out was not just the wheelchair, but then making sure that Superman can't see what's inside the wheelchair. So he wouldn't have even been able to stop it if he wanted, because what, Bruce? It is lined with lead. I he, love that. I mean, when she through it, yeah. I, when Jenna Malone's character calls uh, Lois and tells her that, and they're talking about that, I just thought it was phenomenal. And what's great is, is that as smart as Lex is, he has left a trail, and this shows how smart Lois is and how much she's not a damsel in distress. She is 
working so hard throughout this film to be a great investigative reporter, pulling on every string possible, and she does such a fantastic job. She gets to the bottom of something that the government's not even getting to the bottom of. You know, she puts the bullet together with the metals from the, uh, the wheelchair and putting that all together, bringing it back to Lex, so that he's controlling everything. And I just, I think that's fantastic. But what it also does there is it makes Superman a more likable character. Because as you're watching the film, you're not like, why didn't he just stop that? Like, he's got x-ray vision, you know? And so when Superman says to Lois, you know, I, I, it was right there and I didn't even see it. He couldn't see it. It's not his fault. You know, I, I really like that because this film does a great job of fleshing out all the characters and just making their motivations much more clear. I think that the lowest story is so much stronger in this new cut than the theatrical cut. And Lois is the one that is cluing us into what's going on throughout, which was what what was missing in the theatrical cut is that journey with her in figuring things out. She's that narrative of telling us this is what's happening and this is what Lex is doing. And then it all becomes clear. We're learning this through her eyes. We're learning it through her as she's learning it. But the other key scene that I wanted to uh, mention, I think one of the most crucial scenes that was missing from the theatrical cut is when Clark goes to Gotham on his mm, yes. to find the witness to interview her. And she's not in her apartment. And he talks to a, a gentleman that's sitting out there saying, you need to get out of this neighborhood because, you know, basically the bat is going to get you. He's terrorizing all of us. And that did two things for me in that scene. That showed that there's something up with this witness. That's what that scene indicated, you know, because she hasn't been around in a long time. So that's suspicious. So there's something going on with her. And then... This is what motive is part of the motivation of Clark not trusting the Batman and looking at Batman as being a criminal. So that scene I thought was very important. What I loved about the scene is that think about this. There's a wonderful symmetry that I hadn't seen before, but in this cut I, you really get Batman and Superman and how they interact in their alter egos. Not their superhero egos, but their other alter ego. Uh Bruce and and Clark, and what they can accomplish there. Superman is having such a hard time accomplishing things as Superman, and so he really starts to push himself to do something as Clark Kent, the reporter. You know, in the same way that Batman keeps trying to put on the suit because he doesn't like being Bruce Wayne, and yet Alfred points out to him, the Bat beat up six people, and didn't get anything. Bruce Wayne got something in one night. So there's this wonderful thing about how a person doesn't have to be a superhero, per se. They just have to be somebody who's willing to do something and to ask questions. And I really, really liked that. And, and what you were saying about Clark is so fantastic because, again, it makes that character so much more likable because he's a guy that's trying to do the right thing no matter if he's in the suit or out of the suit. And I think that's fantastic. That is the Superman that everybody wanted to see. You know, he's becoming that Superman. He's making that choice 
to be that guy, whether he's in the suit or out of the suit. And I just think that's beautiful. Well, I, I've been to Superman since the Donner film came out in 78. And that was my favorite superhero film for uh, up until The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight took number one spot for me. And, and the 78 film of Superman is number two on my spot. But uh, the reason I'm mentioning it is because I'm a fan of Superman, not just because of the superhero, but I was always a fan of the group. And that meaning Clark, Lois, Jimmy, and Perry White. It, it's almost the same with Star Trek when, you know, you have to have Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. I always felt like you needed Clark, Lois, and Jimmy together, or Perry White. And it's, it's I always enjoyed those relationships and, and them being the reporters and trying to figure things out. It wasn't just about the man in the suit. And this film even brought, even though Jimmy Olsen's dead at the beginning, but this this movie brought more of that dynamic a relationship between Lois and Clark and also Perry White involved in it too. And I just enjoy that, that, that chemistry and those relationships and, and, and the, and the man on the street and the reporter trying to figure things out. That's classic Superman in my mind. Well, and, and the fight that I love that, you know, the fight between Perry White and, and Clark about what to report on, what not to report on. I, I think that's fantastic. And on top of the scenes that you were talking about, Bruce, when Clark goes to Gotham the first time, there's a second time he visits, and he goes to the police station, and he's trying to find out what happened to this guy who got transferred to Metropolis and was killed. And they're like, look, we, we can't you know tell you anything about that. And one of the cops is sympathetic to him and kind of you know gives him the eye motion to to look over at the lady with the baby who's walking out that he needs to talk to her. So he stops her on the street and he asks her if he can ask any questions. And we find out that obviously we know her husband was branded cuz and it wasn't her husband, it was you know her her baby daddy. Um he was the one who was branded and that Batman stopped at the beginning of the movie. And he was sent to Metropolis. And they still killed him there anyway because the prisoners know that in Gotham and in Metropolis. And what we also learn is that because there's a great extended scene where KG Beast goes to the the police station, he meets with a guy there, and he's like, you make sure that this happens. Lex has set it up that this guy will die. He's playing both sides. So that's how we get Clark getting those pictures. Right. And on top of the pictures, we had him meeting with his, that, that guy's you know girlfriend and her saying, look, the only thing that this kind of person responds to is a fist. And that's what... Those things, bringing all that together, as you were talking about, having Clark investigating the Batman, really getting to see that, and the way that Lex is manipulating everything so that what's coming to him is not good stuff, that's what causes him to go out and say, enough is enough with the Batman. Um, and, and I like that because it gives better motivation to that scene, and it helps you understand why he doesn't trust batman at this point i mean the guy is it seemingly being judge jury and executioner and that's definitely not what superman stands for 
I think it's important that the prison scene that you brought up, because this is a perfect example. We see a uh, a man that gets branded by Batman, and then later in the film, Clark receives these pictures showing that uh, judge, what is it, judge, jury, and executioner. executioner. But the missing pieces, that scene in the prison, we find out, like you said, it was Lex that pushes the prisoners gets a guy to kill this guy. So we got him. In other words, Lex is like, okay, the Batman branded him, but nobody's killed him yet. So I need somebody to kill him to piss off Superman. So get that done. So it, it, it all shows that everything is under Lex's control. He's framing everything to make this stuff happen. And that's what was missing in the theatrical version. Well, and, and what's great about it is so he's setting up both sides and he's doing it so well. So it's, you know, setting up Superman that everywhere he goes, you know, Zack Snyder was talking about on the extras here. He says, you know, it's it's a hard life out there for Superman because everywhere he turns, he's trying to do the right thing. And death kind of seems to be following him. And no matter what he I mean, he's. What I like about that scene in the middle of the film where the guy's like, maybe he's not a Jesus, Moses, or a savior character. Maybe he's just a guy trying to do the right thing. And what I love is that it's showing the reality of a person like that today. Everything is politicized. Everything is polarized. And so if a guy out there was really trying to do that, like Superman, yeah, he'd be a you know beacon of controversy. And I think this film does it really well. And and what it does is this just helps continue to build the themes of the film so that when you do get to the end and Clark makes the choice as Superman to put his life on the line for the world, I think it means even more. I think it works even better. And um, that it's, it's, it's wonderful because that sacrifice... And we see kind of how deep the divide is between what people think of uh, as who the Batman is and who people think of as who the Superman is. And when Bruce sees the difference in who this guy really is, it's a rebirth. You know, DC's all about rebirth right now. And and don't blame him because it's fantastic. They're doing such a good job. But Batman gets a rebirth in this movie because of Superman's death. He becomes changed. And I I think it works even better in this cut because everything is given room to breathe so that all the themes, all the plot, all the storyline, it's like, um, it would be like, you know, you you can have a glass of wine right after you open the bottle or you can let it breathe and it becomes even better. And that's what... I don't know. I got a quick question to you. So, Bruce, did you actually feel the three hours in this, or did it actually feel shorter to you? It it didn't feel longer. Let me just answer it that way. Um, it felt just as long as when I watched the movie the first time. So, I didn't get this sense like, oh my gosh, this is dragging on longer. If anything, you're right. Maybe it did feel a little shorter because when um, we started watching it. Uh, I said, you know, I, I can't stay up late because I got to go to work, but we couldn't stop watching it because it just it, the flow just keeps moving faster. It keeps your interest more because you're understanding more and not feeling a little disjointed at certain areas. As a matter of fact, when I saw the theatrical cut the first time, sometimes I think about the audience that 
maybe isn't as familiar with these characters and maybe didn't see the Man of Steel. And the first scene we see with uh, Clark and his mother, he never it's never mentioned that that's his mother. And I, and I would watch that scene thinking, do are there people who are going, who's this lady? But in this cut, there's an earlier scene where he calls her and on the phone and calls her mother and she calls him his baby. And even that just cemented the relationship more and and gave, like you said, more room to breathe, which meant that the scene later that you're talking about, the pivotal scene about mentioning Martha, even has more weight there. But yeah, it did seem to flow a lot better and, and, and quicker. It didn't seem like a long three-hour movie. Mm. Now, I love that you mentioned the scene with Martha where he calls her on the phone. And I, I like where the scene is because, you know, he's just watched the TV show uh, with... Uh, Rose and the senator and, you know, they've been talking about, you know, do we need the Superman? And, you know, he calls his mom and he is a guy and is in turmoil and he's frustrated because he just wants to be the guy that's going to do the right thing. And he's like, why, why can't it be easier? You know, he's like, why isn't it easier? And she's like, oh, honey, nothing is easy. You know, and I love the the way that that plays on what we learn from, you know, his mountaintop experience when he meets his father, you know, in that kind of strange vision that we get. You know, this idea that nothing's easy, son. It's going to be tough, um, but you just have to keep doing the right thing because it's worth it, you know. Uh, it doesn't matter what the consequences are. There is good still worth fighting for in this world and you just keep doing the right thing regardless of of how people look at it and um i i really liked that with uh his parents and you can you can also understand too i mean that small scene with martha there also plays into the last scene that you get with with martha and her son before you know she'll see him again and he's not alive where she's like, I never wanted this world to have you. And what a mother thing to say. You know, she's so protective of her baby boy. To to her, that's still who he is. And I, I think they've done such a great job of creating that relationship of mother and, and son in this film. It is really beautiful. And, you know, the first movie, all about fathers and sons. And this movie is all about mothers and sons. And it's really, it's a really nice symmetry to what we got in Man of Steel. And I hadn't thought of it until you were just talking about Martha uh, Kent at the funeral. Uh, in this new cut of the film, uh, it is mentioned that uh, her finances are being taken care of. And they don't tell her who it is. And it, we're led to believe it's Bruce Wayne. And her, she lost her son. And Bruce Wayne lost his mother. Yet now Bruce is taking care of Clark's mother. And so, again, it's almost another mother-son analogy, I guess. Just the fact that you've got someone without a mom and someone without a son, and there's still some kind of connection there. I think Bruce really started to feel he did Clark wrong, and he could have, and he even says he could have done more for him. And I think that's what he's trying to do here. Um but on, the other thing I want to mention, though, is anybody who's listening to this that didn't hasn't seen the Ultimate Edition, we keep mentioning all these additional scenes and, and um, growth 
more growth from the characters, but there's one main character that doesn't get more scenes, and so therefore there isn't any more growth, and that's Wonder Woman. And I'm not saying that she needed more scenes, but we didn't get anything more from Wonder Woman in this film, in this edition, so bring yeah. on that next movie. <laughs> yeah, no, um, you do get a couple of extra shots like of her in her hotel room and those kind of things. Um, but no, there isn't any more of her. And I definitely think uh, the reason for that is because they don't, they didn't want to add more of her to this film. You know, this is, that's not what this movie is about uh, because the Wonder Woman film will be her big coming out party. Uh, in that sense. So um, I was actually kind of glad that we didn't get more because I, I feel like this movie does a great job of whetting the appetite for Wonder Woman and wanting to see more of her. And if you cheated and gave us more in this one, I, I, I'd just rather them wait uh, until we get to, you know, with the Wonder Woman film and really introduce that character. And um, I noticed something, though, in the fight scene, with doomsday you know she has the lasso mm -hmm. and she's holding it around him and i always wondered why did what happens um that where she kind of almost lets go and you know it, it allows doomsday to get free and then to be able to stab superman and what i realized is this time i, I finally saw what happened it was great she's holding herself she's propped herself against some concrete and she's you know holding the lasso it's not going anywhere that concrete gives out because of the pressure <laughs> that's oh, wow. being applied and i thought that was so smart like wonder woman is so strong that la and that lasso is so strong doomsday is not getting out of it e except for the fact that these you know, human conventions like concrete fail and it was just, I loved those little things you start to pick up as, as you see the movie more. Yeah, my wife is a Wonder Woman fan. So I'm I'm more of the Superman fan. My oldest daughter is the Batman fan. And my wife is a Wonder Woman fan. She's got the comics from the 40s and, and from all these years when she wasn't alive in the 40s. So nobody think I married some old lady, okay? But <laughs> um, she you know, has past issues from then and when she was a kid back in the 70s and 80s. And she says she loves the Wonder Woman costume because this really represents who Wonder Woman is more so than the costume we're familiar with. Because she is a gladiator and this costume shows that. And she just loves that this is she, to her this is the ultimate uh uniform for wonder woman no i mean yeah hearkening back to to the greek roots um you know a little bit of roman flair in there definitely the right way to go i think for the costume it makes so much more sense i mean she's from greek gods you know that that's that's where her lineage that's where the amazons come from yep. that's what all the mythology is so yeah this fits so much better um, a couple of little things that I really like, too, about the extended cut for the funeral scene. I liked that we got to see a little bit more of it. You know, we see the Daily Planet shut down. We see all the shops in Smallville shut down, that everybody's at this funeral. All of the people who knew Clark. Uh, we see the priest from uh, Man of Steel there. We see Pete Ross there. Uh, you know, so I, I liked those callbacks really doing a great job, very subtle ways of just bringing Man of Steel and Batman v Superman a little bit closer together with those cameos. 
and it's it's not like in your face or anything. It's just you know it 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 makes sense. Uh, and so I thought that was really well done. And I also liked that they gave the priest actually some scripture to read, and really basically kind of foreshadowing that Superman will return. Right. And so I, I think all in all, um, I don't know, Bruce, uh, where are you with this one? You know, uh, because you weren't on our our first show let everybody what was your rating for the theatrical cut and then what is your rating now for this ultimate edition wow let's see i would say um the theatrical cut i think then i would have said uh probably three and a half out of five uh only because like i said the first time seeing it I was a little lost, a little confused, but now seeing the ultimate edition, I would give it four and a half out of five uh, Krypton spheres. Well, I love that. That's great, man. Uh, and I'm glad that, that for you, it, it it got even better. I think that's fantastic. I think that's obviously you know, what Zack Snyder wanted everybody to feel. Uh, and I do. I, I Look, I everybody knows I liked the first the first run the, the theatrical run and if you didn't like that and if you had some issues with the pacing and the editing and those kind of things if you had issues with some of the story point elements i think that this is definitely worth your time if you still don't like it after that then you know I, that that's great you know that's fine i get it but i do think this is really going to help a lot of people like this film more than they did and win some people over and again it's interesting i'm watching that collider video where these guys talk about and there's some people on there uh, that hated this this movie in the theatrical release but they really enjoyed and they thought it was a good movie this release and i would say this is the only release you need watch it um for me this is five out of five stars it's become my favorite superhero movie uh, it's beat out Man of Steel, which was my favorite. Um, and the I put this on the level. For me, uh, The Dark Knight Rises is my favorite of the, the Nolan trilogy. And I put this on the same level. I feel like it has the same type of feeling. This really epic scope, this operatic feel. But I also think that there's a lot more humanity in this movie. You know, a lot of people complained about the tone being super dark and everything. I think this cut makes things feel much more human. Yeah, that's a good point. I agree. You know, um, it still has a very serious tone, but for some reason it just doesn't feel quite as dark. And maybe that's because all of these story points, all of these characters got more room to breathe and make you care about them, especially... I'd, I'd say Clark and Lois, they really benefit from this cut. Lex's plan benefits from this cut. And um, I think uh, it, it benefits seeing how Batman was played by Lex. You know, seeing a guy who is really at the end of his rope and finds himself at a rebirth at the end. So, um, Bruce, I, I really appreciate you joining for me for this one. 
I had a blast talking about it. I can't wait to see what everybody will think on the Babel Conference when we would drop this show. But the only reason that we get to do this show is because of our executive producers, Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson. I really appreciate those guys being here, supporting this show for, for just a long time now. Just great guys. And 20th Supplemental, too. Um, people making this happen. I... I I want to just say a quick thanks to all the guests that come on the show, to take out their time, to watch the films, watch the TV, come on. It means so much to me, so really appreciate that. Uh, hit us up with a star rating and review on iTunes, and when you do that, you'll be entered to win a copy digitally of Batman v Superman The Ultimate Edition, which Bruce and I have just put our stamp of approval on. So, great prize for you there. We'll be running that through July 19th. So, just make sure you get your review in then. And if you have any questions, hit me up on the Babel Conference. And, of course, before we go to, um, if you want to support the network and make sure that all these shows keep coming to you, go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can become part of our team today and make sure that everything we do here on Trek FM, not just the 602 Club, comes to you. Now, Bruce, before we get going, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex, and you can find me uh, doing some work with the Star Wars Report podcast and StarWarsReport.com, and I'm in the Babel Conference, so I would love to talk about this film in the Babel Conference with you guys. And you're on Literary Treks with me. And I'm on Literary Treks, too. Just That's like right. we recorded last night. <laughs> That's right, man. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. Uh, I'm also on the network here doing The Orb with Chris Jones. We're talking about Deep Space Nine. Of course, Literary Treks with Bruce and Dan talking about the books and the comics of Star Trek. I do Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills where we talk about Star Wars. It's a blast. Check that out on the nerdparty.com. We're also on iTunes. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? 